What's up, everybody? It's Power Rankings Podcast, a.k.a. The Power Rankings Show. I'm your host, Elliot Harrison, and uh, we are recording on Friday night with the esteemed at Marcus underscore Mosher. How you doing there? All bottled up. <laughs> Is it cold? I'm, I'm cold right now, but uh, I'm doing well. Elliot, how are you? So are you exhausted from the full day of the combine? Or are you ready to go uh, back for more? You got uh, another day. Yeah, I got a lot of mo left in me. It's, I'm really excited. <laughs> got a lot of mo. Got a lot of mo. Yeah, you you know what I'd say is your football brain, it's been working overtime. Overtime. <laughs> no, I just this is one of my favorite weekends of the year. My mom called me this morning and asked how Christmas was, and I said it's not quite Christmas. The draft is like Christmas, but this is like December seventeenth, and you know you're starting to get really excited about the potential of your presence and what they could be down the road. It's Friday afternoon at school when it's 2 p.m. You know, you're like, oh, man, I just got one homeroom class and I'm gone. I'm so gone. Yeah, so much fun. Well, uh, we're going to talk about the combine a little bit. Um, I want to do some basic stuff, kind of. But just to let everyone know, I I referred to this uh, last time we did our podcast and we had a little bit of scheduling snafus sorry we couldn't get this one out earlier um but uh you know the combine was started in the 80s and tech shram who was the gm of the dallas cowboys had kind of lobbied the competition committee and i had to look this up because i couldn't remember who was really the lightning rod or the the guy that pushed it and it doesn't surprise me that was tech shram because tech shram pushed (laughs) feels like half the innovations in modern pro football but um for them to have a, a centralized location because Marcus, guys were getting timed at their schools. They had some informal meetings where just some teams were there. They didn't really have like a centralized place. And so uh, they did it in a couple of different cities. I think New Orleans was one. I can't remember where another one was where they had their first like combine, but it didn't start in Indianapolis. It's like a yearly thing in Indianapolis until 1987 uh, at the old Hoosier Dome where they played um, before uh, where they're playing now. Anyway, the whole point, though, was to just synergize this whole deal. And I mean, aren't there still stories about, hey, you can't really trust what their times are at their Alabama Pro Day or whatever? Well, yeah, because some of these schools have tracks that literally go downhill. Some of them are like 39 yards long instead of 40. So like, yeah, that part of it you can't trust. But we, we should also mention one of the reasons why... Indianapolis was chosen to host the combine is because they have so much medical equipment that's right by the stadium. Right. And that's just not the case everywhere else. Uh, Indianapolis actually has a lot of their own MRI machines that are right there. So they can get all the medical data, all uniform, all in one place. And that's really why we still have the combine today. Well, I don't think it's going anywhere. Um, But then again, the combine used to be just a small little smattering of press. Now it's this huge networking event for everyone that works in the NFL. And I would not be surprised that the NFL tried to monetize this by opening it up to fans and moving it to some city. Would you be surprised? No, but I, I will say, I think we're already getting there. Um, listen, I'm going to, we're going to talk about the combine and why I love it so much, but this week it, started to turn a little bit for me. Uh, I think they're starting to credential too many people. Um, and I saw, as I was watching some of the interviews, because every player player has media availability. They stand up there, they answer questions. 
And one of the questions that everybody gets asked, hey, did you meet with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this week? Did you meet with the Miami Dolphins? And that's all the media availability questions are. It's so stupid, and I hate it. (laughs) Well, it's interesting that Tex Schramm was one of the guys that really, really pushed this because the Cowboys got burned by the very thing that you just mentioned to me. So in 1968, the Cowboys wanted to get another guy that could fly on the outside to go with Bob Hayes. Bob Hayes was the fastest guy in the NFL, hands down, in 1968. He had just won the gold medal in the 64 Olympics, so it wasn't much debate. He was referred to as the fastest human being on the planet. Well, he was playing wide receiver and was a 1,000-yard receiver, but they wanted, they thought, man, if we have another guy like that, forget it. So they, this guy named David McDaniels, out of Mississippi Valley State, you've probably heard of that college for wide receivers. Yeah. Um, he ran a 4-4. Now, a 4-4 is fast now, but a 4-4 in the late 60s with the cruddy shoes they wore and the tracks they ran on, they ran on cinder tracks, that's flying. That's definitely a 4-3 now, okay, at least. So David McDaniels runs a 4-4. The Cowboys take him in the second round with the 45th overall pick. Now, just to let you guys know, the 68 Cowboys were awesome. Okay, they're 12 and 2. They've been to the previous two championship games. They might be the most talented team in the league. And they get him into camp. (laughs) He runs a 4-7-3. That is a massive golf. I mean, what would happen now if a team drafted a receiver in the second round that ran a 4-4 and he ran a 4-7-3 in camp? Yeah, you're probably not making the team, to be honest. Yeah. So obviously this was a big problem and they found out that the track at Mississippi Valley state was 38 yards. long. Yep. <laughs> and they traded him to happened. Philadelphia. Yeah. They traded him to Philadelphia and they did not tell Philadelphia his 40 times. Like, Hey, they didn't ask. So we didn't tell. And uh, there you go. They just knew the Eagles needed a wide receiver. So uh, that's how you trade within your division. You, you <laughs> slough off. You kind of lie. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder what happened to David McDaniels. That, that's, it stinks for him that he has to be that story. But, uh, you know, that's that's what we're talking about it here. It also stinks so, that he has to be that slow. I mean, imagine if he was fast. <laughs> I, you know, hey, maybe he got faster. I mean, everybody has a bad time. But uh, anyway, I start, you know, whenever I think of bad times, I always think of Maurice Claret's times. Yeah. You know, that whole yeah. deal. <laughs> but we're not going to deep dive on Maurice Claret. I'm sure there's a 30 for 30 on it somewhere. Um, that's probably the biggest combine story ever, though, uh, that I can think of. Uh, that and Usain Bolt showing up in regular clothes and <laughs> running like a fourth. Do you think that's a bigger one than when Manti Teo went to the uh, combine and he had to answer all those questions? Oh, and then, man. And then people were worried about his 40 and he ran like a 4.83 or whatever it was. Man, I feel bad for that guy. I don't know if you saw the documentary I on did. him, but it, it was really good. And he's a really likable guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of, if you watch it, you can kind of see how what happened happened. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, we're getting a little off course. So if we put aside the big, the big, big, uh, you know, neon headline sign of why the combine is important, which is having a centralized place for all of these players and teams. What to you is the next biggest thing about this? I mean, I just think it's the athletic testing, right? Because this is the first time that we get to see all these guys in a a level playing field. We get verified measurements on everybody. And the athletic 
testing matters. Like I'm going to say something very, very profound here on the podcast, Allie. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Athleticism matters in athletics. Like I know that's a crazy thought, but typically the guys that are big and fast are good football players. So it is important to see which guys are running fast and which ones are a little bit slower than expected and which guys are measuring in, uh, you know, lighter than we thought they were. So that's what I, that's what we're there for. And that's why I, I love it so much. So, you know, obviously the testing has become more scrutinized than it ever was before. It used to be that really people were paying attention to uh, the 40 yard dash. Yeah. And then I think the second thing was their vertical. Mm-hmm. But now the cone drill, obviously the bench press. Do you think that over the, say, the last 10 years of this, that one event has really kind of climbed the most precipitous or, you know, the most where it maybe wasn't underlined as much when you first started watching as a kid? Mm. No, I don't think there's been one drill, but I will say, I think fans have become smarter and probably because we just have more data. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of the things that I reference all the time is relative athletic score, which is basically just a way to combine all of the numbers into one score, right? So for example, I was watching the cornerbacks run today and there was a corner that ran a four, five, three at 210 pounds. It's not slow, but it's not fast either. Right. However, this guy had a 42-inch vertical, an 11-4 broad jump, and a sub-seven second three cone. So all those other numbers are great. So if you put them together, you see that he tests like in the 92nd percentile among all corners. I think that's where fans have gotten smarter, realizing that one bad time or on the other hand, one great time doesn't mean that you're a fantastic athlete. Right. I would say 4-5-3 is certainly viable for a corner. It's sure. your low four fives. Now, once you get into the high four fives, then it starts to go the other way. And if you're running yes. a four six or slower, then it, it it keeps getting obviously worse. Um, that's a really great way to put it. So let's stay with that position group. So because I think it to kind of get your passion for this, I think it helps to drill down into something specific. Mm-hmm. So if we just stay with corners. If somebody were one of our listeners was to say like, hey, why why should I care about the combine? Why should I even watch um, if 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 we just did it through the prism of corners? Why should they watch what the corners do or even check a website to see how they did? What's it matter? Well, corners are a great position because it's one of the few one-on-one positions, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you're a cornerback, you are typically, typically covering one player and your athleticism matters because that's a reactionary position, right? You've got Mm -hmm. to react to what the receiver is doing and then beat them to the ball and beat them on a route that they're, they know that they're running that you don't know. Right. So your athleticism does matter. Now you can get away with it. One of our favorite players of all time, Everson Walls, you can tell me the numbers, but was not a fast corner, right? No, but no, four seven to four eight forty, yeah. But he's a major outlier, right? If you look at the yeah. history of the NFL, there's not many successful corners that run in the four sixes, and I think the combine is a good way to put things into context and and maybe eliminate players from certain points in the draft, right? I'm okay drafting a four six corner with great ball skills at some stage in the draft, but that's probably not a guy that you want to gamble on early in the draft. 
Right. I should say, so Walls did run a 4.7, but, you know, he came out in 81. And in 81, people weren't working out the way they are now. It really, weightlifting got big in the early 80s in the NFL. And 81 was right at the cusp of it. And, you know, again, what kind of tracks was Everson Walls running his 40 at? But if you translate his 1981 4.7 into maybe a 4.65 now, that's still kind of slow yeah. for an NFL corner. Um Okay, so if your team, your favorite team, um, needs a corner. Buffalo Bills, yep. Okay, the Buffalo Bills, Marcus's lifelong uh, fandom here. If the Buffalo Bills need a corner, what, and you're a fan of the Bills, what are you looking at the most? Are you going straight to, I want to see what guys ran the, the, the fastest 40? Do you want to see what their overall athletic score is? Or is there another drill that you really like for corners? I would think short area quick. Yes, yes, but. To be honest, it's not even a drill. To okay. me, it's the measurement. I want to see the the arm length on these corners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is actually something that the Seahawks and kind of Pete Carroll's system really kind of brought to light is length at cornerback matters so much, right? Because having two-inch difference in your arm length can be the difference between knocking away a pass and not, right? I yeah. want the corners that have the 33-and-a-half-inch arms like Sauce Gardner, right? So they can reach around a receiver on a slant and not to pass away. Or on a fade route, they can get their arms up and kind of just get one finger on the ball to deflect stuff. I think that's the thing that I've come to want the most in a cornerback because I want to see that size and arm length. What is the best short area quickness drill? I I mean, it's the three cone of the short shuttle. For me, I always like the short shuttle just because uh, it really shows how fast you can go back and forth in one direction, but both are fantastic. So just, you know, I, I love to incorporate some kind of historical notes here. Marcus and I talked about who was up for the Hall of Fame this year, and we talked about Albert Lewis, played for Kansas City. He came out in 83. They had no combine yet uh, in 1983. Uh, I'm going to give you Albert Lewis's measurements in 1983. You want to talk about a freak of nature, man. I'm ready. 40-yard dash in 1983, 4'3'8", 6'2". Six two, six two. How many 6'2 corners are there in the NFL right now that can run a 4'3'8"? Only a handful. Yeah, I would say less than five. Yeah. 35-inch um, arms length and 38-inch vertical leap. Say that arm length again. 35. So just to put that in perspective, we had one corner today, Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State, measuring 34 inches. That's the longest that we've seen over the last 30 years at the Combine. And you're telling me Albert Lewis had 35-inch arms? It's ridiculous. So Albert Lewis, remember, this is a guy that's six foot two, running a 4.38, with 35 inch arms and one of his punts that he, he, so he blocked the most punts in NFL history. He didn't get credit for one of his punts because he got there so fast. He tackled the punter <laughs> because his arms were so long. He didn't leave his feet to block punts. You oh, know how you God. always see the guys leave their yep. feet. He didn't do that. He believed in just running as fast as you could in a straight line and then reaching his arms out. Well, yeah. When you're six, two with 35 inch arms and you run a four, three, eight, you can do that. Yep. Yeah. It's just, uh, I think that's pretty incredible. Um, okay, so if we move away from corner for a second, because I kind of, I wanted to deep dive on that one position. 
and I asked you if I'm if I'm a fan of a team and we need a corner, what should I be looking at? If I don't, if if I'm just a general football fan and and I want to know, okay, why why should I care? Like, what should I get excited about watching the combine? What would you tell somebody that's never watched the combine before that they should get excited about? Well, I think it's just that you look at the best players in the NFL. Almost all of them are elite, elite athletes, right? Let's kind of go through the positions, right? Aaron Donald tested yep. as one of the best athletes you'll ever see. I see he ran up four, six, seven at 285 pounds. Mm-hmm. Jalen Ramsey, the best corner in the league, six foot two, 220 pounds and ran in the four threes. Uh, Derwin James, an absolute freak athlete. So if you want one of those uber, uber elite players, they're typically going to perform really well at the combine. And that's what, that's what I want to see. I want to see these guys go to the combine and show out and show how, just how athletic they are. What's the most ridiculous kind of combination of athleticism you've ever seen at the combine? Mm, That's a good question. Um, I think for me, the first one where I was like, that's unreal is, and I'm looking at the number now just to make sure. Okay. Yeah. Teron Armstead, the current Dolphins left tackle, mm-hmm. ran a 470 40-yard dash at 306 pounds. Mm. <laughs> and I remember thinking, because at the time he was viewed as like a day three developmental tackle. And when he ran a 4.7 flat at 305 pounds, it's like, I've never seen anybody that big move that fast before. Uh, you want you want a little bit of combine trivia using your well, what used to be your favorite team, the Cowboys? Sure. Okay, this cowboy played linebacker, and he placed in the ninety fifth percentile in forty yard dash. Okay, um, but that's running a four five two. He ran a four five two at like two hundred and fifteen pounds. But he was actually fast. That was a slow time for him. And he played during your lifetime. Who am I speaking of? Mm, Dexter Coakley. That is correct. <laughs> nice. I wanted to test you. That was impressive. I was a big fan of Dexter Coakley. That win, one of the better, most underrated linebacker duos of all time. You put Al Singleton in there, it gets a little hairy. But yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you're going to give me Antonio Bryant's uh, combine numbers any, any, any moment. I now, mean, but it's fine. Okay, from a team perspective, so if, if you're the Detroit Lions and you're the director of player personnel or you're the general manager, what does the combine do for you that scouting doesn't do, that the pro days don't do, where you feel like it helps you do your job, it helps your organization? Well, pro days are just such a controlled environment, right? You're working out on a field that you worked out, you know, you played on for three or four years. You're doing the drills that you want to do. You've been prepared. You know exactly what's coming. At the combine, it's a little bit more, uh, it's an open environment, right? Like you don't know what's coming up next. You've got, people pushing you and poking you and sending you in all these different ways, uh, different ways. It's stressful. Right. And I want to kind of see how players do in stressful environments and when they're matched up against their peers and guys that are being compared against them. Like it's not hard to tell when you watch these guys work out like quickly, 
who's the alpha of the group. And I know you can't really quantify that and you can't put that in a fun database or spider chart, but that's what you can kind of see is, oh, hey, this is the guy that's going first in all the drills. This is the guy that the coach believes his technique is so good that he's the one teaching everybody else. This is the guy that's breaking down the group at the end of the day. That is some stuff that you can learn that you don't typically get to see, you know, if you go to a October game in Penn State. Right, right. Um, so if you don't really know what good scores are, you don't know what a good cone drill score is. You you know what a good vertical leap is, but you don't know what's a great score at how many reps of 225 pounds somebody can bench press. How do you get into the combine? How would somebody listening get in the combine if they don't have that basis? How long did it take you to really understand what you were seeing? You well, feel like you can pick that up just watching NFL Network's coverage, or do you need, do you need to? Is there a website that you would go to 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 kind of get commentary? How would yeah. you approach it? So I, th- I I think growing up in this, it was a little harder because we didn't have all these awesome websites that help. Um, but I will tell you one right now that's absolutely awesome, and I'll actually have you go to it right now, Elliot. So you okay. can pretend you're a newbie. It's called mockdraftable.com, okay. all one word. And what's nice is about it is. It gives you all the positions. It gives you all the players of the last 24 combines. And you can type in a player. Let's type in CD Lamb, right? You okay. type it in and it gives you it right now. It gives you all of his measurements. And then it gives you all the percentiles and how they line up compared to the last 25 receivers. It's like a spider so, web. Yeah, it is a spider web, which is really cool. Oh, uh, this is concerned. This is a big concern. What's He's that? only in the twentieth percentile for bench press. Yeah, it's, it's it's a big issue. But what you can see is, hey, one hundred twenty four inches on the broad jump. That's a really good score. That's in the seventy second percentile. Four five zero four yard dash. Not elite, but hey, it's above average. It's a good you way bet. to kind kind of cross check things. And then what's great is if you want to search, hey, I want to go see. What's the fastest time ever for an edge rusher? You just go to the advanced search, pull up 40-yard dash, and boom, Jason Oway, 437. Montez Sweat, 441. It's a good way to kind of help quickly learn, okay, this is a good score. This is a bad score. This is what this guy did. This is how it compares to other players. Well, Justin Blackman, my gosh. (sighs) Poor Justin Blackman. I'm just looking at some of these. Corey Robertson, um, just looking at some of these scores. This is really, really great. This is really cool. I I was not aware of this website. I think I may have been there before, but I don't remember it. I just, I, it looks familiar to me that I used it for something, but how long has mock draftable been there? Uh, I think since 2011, 2012, but yeah, if you are a a new fan of the combine, this is a, a really good cheat sheet. It really helps you see what guys are, good athletes and which ones are this is awesome i never so when i was working at the nfl i never use this like with each guy i would just go and do the research that i needed to do and i would look up stuff but i didn't i didn't have a source like this yes. where i could just instantly compare and contrast and, and you know what's That's also fun just just for a little tip are you still on the justin blackman page i was hang on i'll That's go fine. back to it yeah all okay. right so so the, at the top corner you see where it says mm-hmm. wide receiver wr yeah, yeah. You can click that and you can change his position. So like if you go to ball carry, you can make him a tight end and you can see how those numbers compare to across the league at tight end. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a random guy here. 
Okay. Just for you. Cause you gave me a guy. Okay. Yeah. I just thought I'm, I'm literally typing the first name that I thought of in my head. Okay. Here we go. What's the name? All right. I will. I'm gonna, I'm, hold on. We're going to do a little trivia here. This guy was a big time defensive tackle out of Memphis in the 2012 draft. Oh, that'd be Don Terry Poe. That is correct. Nice work. I'm looking at his. Uh, okay, so pull up Don Terry Poe on yep. on yours and tell me how you would read this because we just we just pulled a nose tackle, guys. So this is very important. I'm actually really glad that you pulled this up. So if you look at the chart, it mm-hmm. looks okay, right? Like if you look at the mm-hmm. graph, it looks it's fine. Um, but then you see a three cone of seven, nine, and you see a 20 yard shuttle at four, five, six, which is actually in the 63rd percentile, but that doesn't tell you everything, right? Running a four, five, six, 20 yard shuttle at 346 pounds is different than running a four, four, six shuttle at 300 pounds. So this is one of the flaws of the site is it doesn't weight adjust the numbers. So you kind of have to do that yourself. Uh, But it's still a very useful, uh, you know, um, tool. But man, oh man, he's got, he's 98th in uh, bench press, 98th percentile. It's pretty good. good. Anyway. Yeah. Vitaveo is 97th for all you guys that were wondering, which is exactly none of you. (laughs) But Wow. Did run a five one forty though without looking. All right, all right, very good. So now we've got kind of why people should pay attention to this. Let's just kind of go the other side of this. Give me some reasons that people in our business or fans overrate the combine when it becomes a net negative. Because the tape is still the most important part by far, right? Like the tape is 95% of the equation. All the combine should really do is check a box and confirm what you see on tape. Where I think people and teams get in trouble is drafting a guy based on what he did at the combine and kind of ignoring the tape and believing, Hey, our coaching staff will coach it up. Don't worry about it. Like mm-hmm. we know that he was only average in college, but he'll be better than the NFL. That's where it gets to be an issue. So as much as I love the combine as like a cross reference, Going back and watching the film still is the most important thing here. Can you give me a recent example, say last 10 years, of a guy that was overrated, vastly, vastly, vastly overrated because of his combine performance? This wasn't in the last 10 years, but it, close. Um, I remember when the Jets took Vernon Golston, uh, a defensive end out of Ohio mm-hmm. State. Yeah, he ran like a four six five at two sixty six. Had an awesome broad jump, an awesome vertical jump, and then you look at like the college production, and it just wasn't there. And he just didn't show up at Ohio State, and um, never really happened. And I think Golston went was it like top ten, top eight. Mm-hmm. That's where it's concerning is when you're spending that high of a pick on a player that has never really done anything on the field before so you know the guy that i always remember and he's kind of credited as being one of the guys that specifically trained for the combine was named mike mamula Mm -hmm. he played defensive end for the philadelphia eagles and his combine numbers were off the charts but he became basically known as a bust but he was he's kind of credited for being that first guy to specifically train to make his combine scores ridiculous 
Uh, he ran a four six as a defensive lineman, uh, which he did 26 reps of uh, 225 pounds, which is very good. His vertical leap was 38 inches. I mean, that's a ridiculous combination. And then on top of that, he had a 49 on the Wonderlick score, which they don't do the Wonderlick anymore. Uh, but yeah. Mike Morella didn't have a bad career, though. No, he played. I'm just saying that he's more well known for being a workout yes. warrior. Yes. And he's kind of the guy that I'm going back to more my fandom. Uh, the first guy I really heard about that that trained for the combine specifically uh, to up his draft position. Yes. Yeah. So you were talking, you know, a little bit about like there's there's so many people at the combine now. Too many. Is it right? Do you think it waters down the event at all? Given that it's still the same number in in you know invitees, right? Well, uh, in terms of players. Be. That's the other issue I have. Um, we had a hundred more players invited to the combine this year than we had last year. It's just too many. It's too many. Right? So you're speaking specifically of this year. Well, I'm saying recent history. You've yes. had pretty consistent numbers. Yes. But yeah, but let's go to just this year. We'll switch it to this year. So you have a real problem with that. I feel like the combine should be a sacred thing where only – not only the top 100 players get drafted, but the top 150, right? If you earn a combine invitation, it's a big deal, right? But now we're getting guys running and training at the combine that have no business being there. And you wonder like, hey, is this – did an agent get his player in there? Did they do something like that? That part of it I'm a little bit skeptical of. But I think there's just too many players and too many people like at the end of the day, I know this is the NFL and it's all about making money, but it's still, this is a team thing, right? Like this is for NFL teams to evaluate players, medical to do interviews and do on the field drills. Do you really need 4,000 media members credentialed from I blog on my mom's basement from my mom's basement.com taking selfies with players in the lobby of the hotel. Like, I don't know. I, maybe this is me being uh curmudgeon Carl a little bit, but I think it's turned into a little bit too much of a fan of that. I, th I think I'm familiar with that expression. So I've got some, uh, i got some quick hitters for you here. Uh player that stood out the most so far through the first two days. Uh, yes. Uh, there's a Northwestern camera butcher. His name so bad. Uh, Tommy at a bar way, six foot two, 282 ran a four, four, nine 40. I've never seen a, 275 pound defensive tackle run a sub five a four five forty. Absolutely phenomenal. I think I honestly have not watched a lot of his tape, but now I will. Like I have to go back and watch his tape because he performed so well. Wow, that is dude, that is flying. 282 at that size. Ran a four four nine. He would be the fastest receiver on the Cowboys right now. That's that is that's unbelievable. Um thing that in, was that the most i was going to ask you but you kind of answered i was going to say the thing that impressed you the most athletically at the combine i'm guessing that's the same answer <laughs> uh joey porter jr i'll go back to him had an 81 and a half inch wingspan which is the longest ever for a cornerback uh that's pretty impressive i i've I, to see somebody that's that long but in a six foot two frame is pretty impressive and what was his vertical uh 38 inches yeah, it's that's pretty good, man. That that means that that 
you have a very tight window when you're throwing yeah. on him if he's if he's read your route. Uh, most disappointing performance at the combine so far. Mm. That's a good one. I, honestly, I, I haven't seen a player where I've been super down uh, on their performance. And maybe that's just part of the combine training. I think everybody now kind of knows what's coming. They know what drills to expect. And if they don't, if they don't like the number that they're training at, they just don't do the drill at the combine. That's the other thing that we're seeing now is people just skip drills or skip the combine altogether. So honestly, I haven't seen anything too disappointing. If you were at the combine and you could talk to anybody you wanted, they had full availability. They let you have as much time as you want. Who's the one person there that you'd like to pick their brain? Gil Brandt. Really? Gil yeah. Brandt, huh? I mean, Gil is just like a, he's like an encyclopedia of knowledge, right? And I would just love to chat for with Gil for an hour about draft stories. And the thing with Gil that I also like is he's up to date on every one of these players. And he can tell you where they went to high school, what their background is. Uh, Gil is just a, a national treasure. So that's probably the person I would love to chat with. Yeah, the first time I ever talked to Gil on the phone, uh, we worked together and I had to call him for uh, a project I was working on. And <clears throat> he asked me if I could hold on for a second. I said, sure. And he then he came back on. And he was like, I'm sorry. You know, I had parcels on the other line. I had to, you know, get him off. I'm like, really, you could have. You could have let me go. I would have gone to Taco Bell or something and kept myself. Well, busy. what's it like to talk to Gil? Just, just fill me in because I've never had the opportunity. We always, you know, whenever I would see him, you know, he didn't work in our office specifically. He was always remote, but when he would come in, you know, we always just took a deep dive into something. You know, whether it was, uh, I mean, one person we player we talked about quite a bit was Chuck Halley, who just made the Hall of Fame. Chuck Halley uh, was running a gas station like he got drafted by the bears in 58 59 training camp he tears his knee up he's out he's out of football and he goes and runs a gas station in west virginia okay this is the number one draft pick of the chicago bears right and uh he plays in the west virginia alumni game uh you know where he they played the current team sure and he and he played really well and he's like hey my knee's not so bad and so gil brandt was going to scout somebody else and stopped at the gas station and talked to Chuck and said, Hey, if you want to come out, we'd love to have you. And he went to training camp with the Cowboys. He made the team and now he's in the hall of fame. Uh, that's pretty rad. Um, I should also say one of the reasons that I think it'd be cool to talk to Gil is he's one of the reasons that this whole thing has become what it is, right? Like the Cowboys were, the Cowboys were so advanced in scouting and some of the stuff they did with computers and I think it, it, he made it very popular, right? And I think if you are a draft fan, I think you owe a lot of thanks to Gil Brandt. For sure. And I said that Tex Schramm, you know, pushed this, but who do you think Gil Brandt worked for, you yeah. know? And and, yeah. and Tex Schramm valued uh, Gil Brandt's knowledge, and he probably wanted to make Gil's job a lot easier because the Cowboys felt that if they had uh, the right data, that they would draft the right player. They're the ones that first started using computers and that, so it makes sense. And how do you get the right data by having everybody on the same playing field? Yep. The easiest way to corrupt data is to corrupt your base numbers. Mm -hmm. If your if your base numbers are corrupt, everything after that is going to be corrupt. So um, anyway, not corrupt in a malicious sense, but you know what I mean? I get it. So there's always press conferences at the combine. 
Was there anything that stuck out to you that somebody said positive or anything that stuck out really negative? From from players or coaches? Either. Uh, I, I got one. Trent mm-hmm. Balky, the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars GM. Mm-hmm. Uh, they asked him what he's looking for in players. And I, he had a really honest answer. He said, we want the biggest, most athletic guys. And his exact quote was, it matters to us what the guys look like coming off the bus. Right. And that's always a phrase that you hear is, hey, this team, this is the guy you want first coming off the bus because he's big and intimidating. But I think there's some truth there, right? Like we get excited about some of these guys with speed and some of these 240 pound head rushers that run in the four fours. But this is still a big man game, right? Like having big offensive linemen that can dominate in the trenches and having big pass rushers that can impact you know, the run and the pass game matter. I, I just thought that was really interesting to hear a GM say, yeah, we're looking for the biggest players. I also read that a little bit different way. You know, there are a lot of guys that are really confident when you put them in a gym. You know, they can rep out and they can do all these things. But then when they're out in the real world, they don't have that same kind of confidence. And if you're a corner, if we'll go back to the well here, mm-hmm. And you run a 4-3 or a 4-4 and you're in the top percentile of corners at the combine and you feel great about the way that you work out. And then we put you on a field in the third quarter in bad weather where you're not getting great footing. Some corners don't have the most confidence or you give up a big play. Do you come back with confidence? And so when you see the way somebody carries themselves off the bus, so to speak, not just their size, but. How do they stand? How do they look at people? Do they look you in the eye when they talk to you? You know, do do they have that kind of uh, aura to them. Was there anything that was said at the combine that disappointed you? I'm just hitting you with a billion questions. I mean, CJ Stroud was asked about the, the quarterbacks that he liked the, that he wants to model his game after and the ones that he liked uh, kind of watching growing up. And he said, Deshaun Watson and Michael Vick. And that just, I think that for some people that was like, eh, maybe choose some different quarterbacks there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now I'll be totally honest. I was trying to bait Marcus into getting into a little Mike McCarthy. Do you, do you want me to do this? You want me to do this now right now? Yeah. Yeah. I right. do. Mike McCarthy <clears throat> was asked about Kellamore and he said a lot of nice things about Kellamore. He had a lot of fun working together with him. I want you to just get to it. <laughs> Kellamore, he basically said Kellamore wanted to score as many points as possible. That's not always the job of the offensive coordinator. And I threw him under the bus a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I get it. I get it. Uh, sometimes teams fall in love with scoring points and throwing the ball all, all over the park, and then they can't put a team away because they try to run the ball when they haven't been running the ball consistently all day. So I think that's what he meant. But it doesn't look good to say, yeah, we don't really want an offensive coordinator that's trying to score all the time. That that was the part that Marcus didn't like. The part, just, I, yeah. the part I didn't like is – why are you saying this, man? You don't like, you think you're going to invite people to want to work for you if you're bad mouthing them at the combine where you just mentioned how many people were credentialed, how many people 4, were 000. around to report that on their blog from their mom's basement, you know, on bonjovi.com, yeah. on OnlyFans. <laughs> In a sleeveless. <laughs> so, so here's the thing, man. I, I This is my thought on it. Mike McCarthy, and I didn't tell you this on the phone because I want you to react to this. He's developing a bad habit of laying blame at other people's feet. 
remember last year I had a real problem with this when multiple times, I think it was, I say multiple, I think it was twice after games. He said, I didn't realize we were going to be playing a third team out there. The refs, that it was mm-hmm. all the refs fault. It couldn't be that his team was undisciplined. Um, when so many of the uh, penalties were pre-snap and stuff like that. Now you're basically blaming Kellen Moore. Like, Hey, Mike, when, when is it on you? You know, when is it on you? It's a fair point. I agree. At some point, the head coach should be the one that says, Hey, the buck stops here. I got to do better. Right. Um, listen, I, I, I can't say anything to disagree with that. So that's all. Yeah. And, and as you know, I've not been a big Dak defender, but I did tell you, look, it's got to be one or the other. If you think Dak is awful, then you better not be one of those people that's saying that Kellen Moore is awful too. Mm-hmm. And if you think Kellen Moore is awful, then you better think that Dak Prescott's a pretty good quarterback mm-hmm. because it can't be both because the Cowboys have put up a lot of points mm-hmm. uh, when those two have been together. So somebody had to be good, somebody. And it just it surprises me at how many people have uh, badgered Kellen Moore. I think by and large, he did a pretty good job. I think we're going to see that. I can't wait to watch him with the chargers, by the way. I just, that's probably the team that I'm most excited to see this year, just because they needed a change in offensive philosophy so bad. So I know we say this every year about the chargers, but I really am excited about them. The only thing, the only thing I'll say is that Kellen, and Dak knew each other so well because they played with each other. And Cooper Rush, too. They all mm-hmm. knew each other so well. It's a little easier, I think, when you know a player's strengths and weaknesses, not only from just watching a ton of film, which I know he'll watch a ton of tape of Justin Herbert, but he just doesn't have that kind of knowledge no. of Justin Herbert. And so that there may be a learning curve there. But I, I That's why I want to see Cooper like Rush. Comment. I want to see Cooper Rush in L.A. as Herbert's backup. Yeah, to see if yeah. he plays well. No, 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 because I think or doesn't honestly, play well. No, no, because I think I think Cooper Rush would be a really good person to help mentor Justin Herbert and help yeah. teach him the offense. I I just think that's the type of backup quarterback that needs to be with Justin Herbert. Well, let me let me ask you. This may not be the sexiest question, but before we get out of here, I've always been kind of curious about this. You have quarterbacks that go to the combine. Um, Do you ever watch the quarterbacks? Because we don't really talk about quarterbacks in regards to the combine because measurements aren't as important for the quarterbacks. But do you ever kind of watch quarterbacks at these things and just think, hey, look, this guy is not a starter, but this is a potentially a really, really good backup because of certain things that you can see. Because we tend to downplay guys that like, oh, he's going to be a bust. And we don't consider that sometimes – a first or second round bus can turn out to be a really solid, solid backup quarterback. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, sometimes you can see the combine like, Hey, this guy just doesn't have an NFL arm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean he doesn't belong there. and He doesn't deserve to be on an NFL field, right? Cooper rush does not have a good arm, but he's going to have a 10 year NFL career because he's really smart. He knows the offense and he plays within himself. So yeah, you can absolutely see some of that stuff at the uh, the combine and if hey if the footwork's good and it's clear the mechanics are good it's just that ball's not getting out there as quick as it needs to it's fine you can still have a long NFL career and make a lot of money especially if they know what they're supposed to do pre-snap and I would mm-hmm. say that's Cooper Rush's biggest advantage who's got the bazooka out there by the way who's got the cannon Ooh, the combine Will Levis uh, from Kentucky maybe a top five pick I think very very similar to like Matt Stafford coming out of Georgia 
Oh, Matt Stafford had a rubber band arm. Yeah. He could throw it from literally any position. Can he? Can he do that? Can he yeah, throw I, it at any different I, I, arm? I, I, I think that's our closest comp in this year's draft is Will Levis to, to Matt Stafford. So, and I, from what I've heard, Levis wants to do everything at the combine on Saturday. He uh, his actual quote was, "I've got a cannon. Why not show it off?" So, oh boy, we're gonna see it. Oh boy, hey, you know if he has a really great career and makes a Hall of Fame. I would really personally love it if he sat around and said, those other busts, I don't need to talk to them. They don't belong in the room with me. Stop it. Get out of here. I don't know who said that. Those are my thoughts. Uh, Of course, most of my thoughts were just asking Marcus questions, but I wanted everyone to just have a good idea about the combine because I realized not everybody is super into it. And, you know, sometimes you just need a little Mm -hmm. bit of a push to get into something. And Marcus is so passionate about this. But please, sir, your final thought. If you've never watched the combine before, if you just casually watched it, I will say that the NFL uh, network does a fantastic job broadcasting this. They have Rich Eisen. They have Daniel Jeremiah. Charles Davis is on the broadcast. They do a really good job of talking about the players, telling you if a number is good or bad for a certain player. Like I was watching today and Daniel Jeremiah was saying, hey, if this guy runs a four five five at his size, that's a fantastic time. They do just a fantastic job of uh, giving you a lot of information without making it where your brain's about to explode. So check it out. Even if you tune tune in for 15, 20 minutes, I think you'll learn a little something. We need to get Chad Ryder in here, join your little D&D gaming group, Uh, (laughs) start talking about these guys. We've got got a month until the draft. I'm sure we're going to have Chad on here. We think – you haven't challenged him enough, Marcus. <laughs> all right. I'm going to leave you guys with that. I'm sure you all know what that's from, some of you. Uh, if you want to catch more Marcus's takes, make sure to listen to Locked On Cowboys. It is the most listened to Cowboys podcast out there, and there's plenty of Mike McCarthy takes on that one. He does it with Landon McCool. Landon does a great job. Marcus also covers the Raiders for USA Today, and he writes for PFF. You've got some uh, combine coverage right now. Yeah, go check out the site right now. We've got all the numbers out there. We've got uh, percentiles for every single uh, drill for every player that's participated. We've got comps. We've got historical data. Go check it all out. And you can reach Marcus at pffleet.com. www.http. Uh, yeah, you can reach him at Marcus underscore Mosher on Twitter. I'm at Harrison NFL on Twitter. That's at Marcus underscore Mosher on Twitter. Please send him all your takes at Harrison NFL. He's really sketchy about responding. I've noticed. And uh, we will talk to you at the beginning of next week. Probably have a few more combine takes. Take care, everybody. (laughs) 